This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. A couple weeks ago, like I shared, we talked about, I shared all these scriptures out of John that, uh, and I asked you to see if you could catch uh, the theme that Jesus was trying to portray and all I did was just read scripture. And the scripture was, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the Father, the one who sent to me, John 3, excuse me, John 4. John 6 says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And then in John 6, 38 later, for I've come down from heaven to do my, not my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then we go on to John 7. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. And John chapter later on, chapter 7, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who has sent me. And then John chapter 8, the one who has sent me is with me. In John chapter 9, we must do the work of him who sent me. In John chapter 12, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but I am the one who has sent me. And so we talked about how Jesus was sent. He had a purpose uh, and, a, and a plan that God has sent him to seek and save that which is lost. He has a plan to, uh, to reunite his creation to the Father. But at the very end of that sermon and at the very end of the Jesus talks about how I've been sent, now I am sending you. And he's talking to us, his followers. And so this is part two. Now, one of my favorite stories I've learned, you know, if, uh, and, and some of you have been around long enough, it's the, the study that Stanford did about tapping and listening. And I shared that even a few months ago, it seems like, here at the church. But uh, they said that about 2.5% of the time, the people can figure out what is being tapped out. But the person tapping the song, and we'll do a little exercise, thinks it's 50% of the time. So those of you who've been around, you know I've done this a few times. I like to do it for those of you who've not heard. I'm going to do a song. I'm going to tap out the song, and I want you to see if you can figure it out. Now, I'm going to be nice, and I won't do the one I've always done, which is, don't you think my girlfriend is hot like me? I used to do that one. But I'm going to do a Christian song, okay? So I want you to know... I want you to pay attention and see if you can pick up the song. I got to get it in my head first. Okay, let's see. I'm going to see if it works. Okay, that works. Okay. See if you can hear the song that I'm tapping out. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that one up. I got the, I, I, I literally flipped two songs in my head, so hang on. I'm afraid I'm going to hum it by mistake. Did you get it? What did you think? That was close. He said, onward, Christian soldier. That was a good one. Wrong, though. Close. (laughs) It was really a bad rendition, so I'm sorry. Uh, It was holy, 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 all right? Uh, and then I think it mixed in there with Onward Christian Soldiers. So that might be partly correct. Uh, the reason I share this story is that 
Um, and I struggled this morning just now because I didn't have that, that song really embedded in my brain. But typically, uh, the, the study shows that 50% of the people who are tapping out the song believe that you can, the listener can figure it out. But in fact, it's only about 2.5%. And I would do this thing when I go to conferences and retreats, and I'm the guest speaker, I would do it, and I uh, would do the same song, and usually just one person out of 500 would figure it out. Now, why am I telling you this? I would call it the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge. Kind of a little bit of what uh, Eric was sharing earlier on, is that we know it. You know what I'm about to share in our sermon. You know it. It's embedded in your brain. And once you know it, it's hard to imagine not knowing it. So the question is, what is it? Well, we just talked about Jesus uh, being sent by the Father, and now he is sending us as believers. And it's one thing to know the song, and we feel like that we fall prey to that study that we think that everybody else knows the song as well, whatever we're tapping out in our lives. Jesus lived a sent life. He was sent on a search and rescue mission. But not all those around him understood why he was there. But Jesus lived a sent life, a strategic life. And here in the United States, I feel like we are in a very strategic mission field. Because what we would, I would say the challenge again is the curse of knowledge. As, a, as people who live in America, we think that people understand the song or the message of the gospel. Maybe 50 years ago, that may be true. One of the great things I like about going onto campus from time to time is asking people, you know, do you believe in the story of Adam and Eve? And typically now the answer is, who? You know, we talk about Noah and the ark. They have no clue what we're talking about. And see, the thing is, the curse of knowledge is that we hear it, we know it, we understand it. And we think that maybe 50% of the people out there get it, but they don't. They don't. It's the curse of knowledge. We hear it, we know it. And it's hard to imagine someone else not knowing it. And so as Jesus has sent on a search and rescue mission, he was sent by the Father. He has called us, and he says, now I send you. Now I send you. And so I write here, America, the mission field. And even though I was just in Spain, and someone asked me, was there an evangelical uh, church that you came across? And it and I knew right when I got there, I didn't see any churches other than the main church, the Catholic church. I didn't see any churches. It's not like you go down Tallahassee and you'll see a church, you know, in every other corner. It is nothing like that. But we know that. We know that Spain needs to hear about Jesus. But here in America, we think the curse of knowledge that we think that people get it and they don't. The most recent study on the American Religious Identification Survey, the South has changed. The South has changed where we live in the southern part of the United States. 
the number one religious affiliation in the South is the Baptist. It's been like that. The second, which is a surprise in the South, is now Catholicism. So Catholics, but we think a lot of that has to do with migration of people coming into the South. The third are the nuns. Now you're thinking, what am I talking about? But I am not talking about N-U-N, the nuns, but I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. And so when they fill out form of religious affiliation, they say none of the above. They are not affiliated with any. And matter of fact, that people group rose twice, 8% to now to 16% within a decade time. It is the actual largest religious affiliated group that's growing. The nuns. The ones that don't really care about what they think, don't know what they think, and have no desire to talk about uh, spirituality and Christianity or, or anything about the eternal life. So it went and shot from 8 to 16%. And so as Jesus is telling uh, his disciples, and we are his disciples, that I, the only thing I've, I've been sent by the Father, we just read all those verses, and now I send you, and, and today we're talking about being sent, and we talk about the urgency of evangelism. I tell you, I, I've been around for a long time in, in ministry, and especially with university ministry and college ministry, and in the 90s, I mean, evangelism was the thing that everybody did. You know, we, we passed out tracts, we talked to people, we set up tables, you know, we did open-air preaching, um, and we did all those things. We just tried to do some evangelism, let people know about Jesus. But I would say that the last 20 years, that has kind of waned. It's very, you don't really hear about evangelism that much. You don't hear about sharing the gospel with those who don't know it. And I think it's the curse of knowledge that we have this concept, we have it in our head, we understand the truth, and we think that maybe through our lives or, you know, the bumper stickers that we put on our cars or the, the music that we listen to, that somehow we're tapping out that evangelistic message. But I'm telling you that, that they're not hearing it. They're not hearing it. And I've fallen prey to that as well. They're not hearing the message, the song that we are tapping out, that we hear so clearly, we think so clearly, we understand so clearly, we believe so clearly, but it's not being heard. Romans chapter 10 tells us, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scriptures mean when they say, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. One of the things I'd like to do, and I don't say that to any to tap myself on the shoulder or anything like that, but when I see someone who's going to go off to a mission field or anything like that, one of my first natural reactions now is I get on their, my knees and I pray over their feet. How beautiful are the feet of those 
who are going, who are being sent and give the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I believe Jesus is calling us in 2019 to get into the game. He says, I want you to flesh this out. I want you to, to begin to live it out. I want you to be one of my sent ones. I want Mario to be one of my sent ones. I know it's in our heads. We hear the gospel message. We understand it. We share testimonies at at an evening dinner together. But most of the people don't get it. It's in our head, but it's not in theirs. And this is a challenging message for me as well because I've, as I shared with you in the past, I've surrounded myself now with a lot of non-believers on purpose because it's so easy as a minister to just kind of get around believers. One of the biggest challenges in the church today, in our church, is not immune from this, is apathy. The lack of emotion or, or caring or, as Eric shared earlier, believing, and we're going to get to that point in a second. There's no urgency towards letting people know about the good news of the gospel. I had this story about this atheist who, who says that nobody's ever talked to me about a different perspective. And he lives in, a, in the South. So the greatest danger of our day living in, in America, living in Tallahassee in 2019, is not caring enough to do something about it. So the concept from knowledge to belief. You know, someone, I was listening to a podcast and uh, this Christian philosopher and somebody asked him, what's more important, to know God or to love God? It's a great question. And, and this is what he explained. He said, to know is to grab something that you don't know about and begin to break it down and bring it down to your understanding of understanding. So you're breaking it down and bringing it to your level of comprehension. But to love is breaking yourself down and lifting it up or drawing it to, to the object and to God. So his answer is to love God. But love, God has to be part of believing and has, has to be doing, part of acting and, and, and responding. If we say we love God and we believe in God, then it has to express itself in some sort of walk of obedience and being sent. The greatest danger in our day is, is not caring enough to do something about it. Not caring. You remember when Jesus wept, he wept for those of, of the people who were without a shepherd. I remember one time I saw on the news the, 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 the picture of the year. It was like a National Geographic picture of the year. And it was of a boy in Somalia who had died, who was dying of starvation. And he was so, so weak that he just couldn't move. He was on his knees, a little toddler boy of four or five years old. And surrounding him in the background were about five vultures waiting for the boy to die. And it made national news. The picture of the year. And I remember looking at it and I cried. Because at that time, my daughter was that same age. But I had an emotional reaction, but I didn't do anything about it. 
And I understood it. I read the article. The boy died like an, uh, a day later. And the photographer couldn't do anything about it. It really messed his life up, he said. He saw it, knowledge, emotions. I wept, but it didn't actually flesh itself out into action. But Jesus did. You know, he weeps. He wept over the people who were without a shepherd. But Jesus took that extra step and, and began to live out and flesh out the gospel. So the greatest danger of our, uh, in our day is not caring enough to do something about it. Now, we're doing in our small groups, which I encourage you to be a part of, uh, we're, we're breaking down the Apostles' Creed, which we just read right after our time of singing. But I want to talk to you about five minutes in hell. Five minutes in hell. I want to look at a story that Jesus shares, and I want you to pay super clear attention to the story. It's found in Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, I would look. And I would begin to really just break this story down. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in, a lux- and lived in luxury every day. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and my scripture NIV says hell. He was buried in hell, where he was in torment, He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Then he answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house then. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them, warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. What an incredible story that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 16. Did you pick up on something as we read the story? The one thing we can pick up is that everybody dies in the story. And I don't know if you know this, but everybody dies in our story. We're all going to one day die. Now, when you hit 55, you kind of think about it more than I used to. I never thought about it when I was 28 years old. Didn't cross my mind. Uh, But it's crossed my mind a few times. I was, right before my flight, I just did a video, last words and testament, and make sure that my kids didn't spend all my money in one place. But everybody dies in this story. The rich man, now listen, 
It's interesting about this story is that the rich man was full of life. He wasn't uh, sick, as far as we know in the story. He's probably living life to its fullest. The Bible tells us right there that he was dressed in purple and fine linens and lived in luxury every day. I can imagine that he made it, you know, back in those days, the, the People magazine, uh, living in his, you know, in his swimming, by his swimming pool and, having, and being catered to. The Bible says he was clothed in purple and linen, and that represented extreme luxury. Living the life, and death was the furthest thing from his mind. Now, if you were to read the story and stop before, it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen clothing and lived in luxury every day, and he had a beggar at his front gate. And we stopped there, you would think, and you would begin to, to guess that that guy's living the life. And in the story, you have this beggar that doesn't have enough food. He's, he's sick. He's got sores, and dogs are licking his wounds. You would think immediately that the person who's going to die in that story is the person who's poor and sick. But we never think that the rich and healthy are going to die. But the story kind of slaps us in the face and says that everybody dies. But death was probably the furthest thing in our minds as we read the story. And I'm sure of the rich man who was dressed in fine linen and in purple. But all of a sudden, he died. There are around 300,000 people who die suddenly, who just walking one day and they're gone the next. This morning I read a sad story of the Ethiopian Airlines jet, jet uh, plane, big uh, 737, crashed this morning. All 157 passengers perished. Now sometimes when you get on a plane, you think about it. You know, in the turbulence, I fly a lot, so I don't get nervous about turbulence, but I have fingerprint marks, uh, nail marks in my hands as Robin grabbed my hand. We hit turbulence a few times. But you normally don't think about those things. But all of a sudden, it happens and unexpected. But all of us need to begin to process that it's going to happen to all of us. But here's the second thing that really intrigued, that hell is real. Now, I've never actually preached a message on hell at Mosaic Church in 11 years, all right? But we, we claim it on our, we make that proclamation every Sunday, that hell is, is a place that exists, right? He descended into hell. We say it every week. But hell is a real place. And Jesus makes it really clear that when we die, we either go to and we sang a song about heaven, or we go to hell. And that's something that we normally don't preach on. Matter of fact, it sounds weird, doesn't it? That some people make it to heaven, and some people go to hell. That's weird that it would be weird in a Christian church to say that. The Pew Religious Forum say that 75% of people in America believe in heaven. But only about 50% believe in hell. 
If you don't think people are in spiritual trouble, just do the research. And if you don't understand it and begin to believe it in your heart, it won't be a sense of urgency. And if we don't have a sense of urgency to tell people how to avoid this place called hell and to, how to have a relationship with Jesus, if we don't have that sense of urgency, we're probably not going to care. Just like I had this emotional response with that poor boy that was starving in, in Africa, it didn't, it didn't ex express itself to action. There was no urgency on my side. But it's clear that Jesus told the story uh, about these two people who had death came upon them immediately. Lazarus was on Abraham's side. And we don't want to talk about the concept of, of paradise and, and Abraham's bosom, but we can talk about that later. But we know this. We know this, that there was this great chasm between the two that could not be crossed. There was no do-over. There was no second chances. His eternity was sealed. So Jesus tells a story about the reality of death, but the reality of hell. But you know there was somebody, another person that we need to just kind of think about, or at least a person we don't ever think about that is going to face this reality, is the last person that we would think about is the person who has it all together. You know, sometimes, especially young millennials, now, I would say uh, the youngest millennials uh, and the, the Gen Z, the, the ones that are in school now, they give this impression of complete confidence. Complete confidence. If, you, if you're around them, you're like, wow, where, did, where does this 18-year-old get such confidence? You know, you see people who are in their early 20s. I mean, I, they speak with such confidence it's like I remember in my 20s, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I spoke with a lot of lack of confidence. I was just trying to figure life out. I didn't have all the answers. And so there was some uh, insecurity. But they say that the Gen, uh, the Gen Z generations, one of their, their attributes is complete confidence. But if you peel back behind that, there's a lot of turmoil in their hearts. But the last person you would think that would face death is that rich person who had it all together, who had a lot of confidence, had a lot of good health. There was no urgency around his own life. There was nothing giving him warning signs that one day he will face judgment. The easiest person to figure out that they are not, you know, that something's not right is that person in the story that was poor and begging, didn't have food and had sores on his body. But I believe Jesus shares a story to tell us there's an urgency on both ends. Yes, there are people who are obviously, who are spiritually sick, but there are people that we don't think that they're spiritually sick. So he's telling us the story for the urgency to reach out, to be sent. And typically it's the person we never think about. That's what I think this story is about. Who is it that you think, uh, you know what, he's got time or she's got time. You know, she's, she's not ready. But we never know when that time comes. Now, my next little topic, subject, uh, little, I mean, PowerPoint here, the flaming evangelist. Now, that sounds a little funny to me, but I decided to put it there anyway. Who is the flaming evangelist in this story? 
It's the rich man, isn't it? He becomes an evangelist immediately. The change of spirit and attitude of the rich man and his priorities in his heart, there's an incredible change, immediate change. But it was after he had died. When he realized he was in hell, he realized he'd been in tr- he was in trouble all along. And then what happened? He became interested in missionary work immediately. I could easily say the flaming missionary or the the flaming evangelist, immediately he was concerned about eternity because immediately he realized the story is true, that he was separated from God. So five minutes, or I would say five seconds in hell made him an incredible evangelist, an incredible missionary. He didn't care about himself anymore. He knew that hell was not a figment of his imagination. It wasn't just some concept. Now he was living it, and he became this incredible evangelist, but too late. I'm almost through here, but it's a question I have for us. Who's responsible for our generation? Who is responsible for our community? Who is responsible for our family members who don't have it in our, their head and in their hearts? Who is responsible? If it's not us, then who is it? If it's not you and me, then who will it be? Who is going to share the gospel story? Who is going to be sent? If it isn't us, then who? I don't, I mean, I, I think I've heard maybe one or two, and you're not going to believe this, but I think in Colombia, if I'm not mistaken, there are missionaries who are being sent to the United States, which we need missionaries. But we here in this country are in desperate need of people who are willing to believe, not only know, but to believe to have full compassion. Because the story we just read that Jesus shared is true. The struggle is that not only do we think there is no need, we live in a world where they don't think there really is a hell. And we struggle as Christians, we, don't, we think that maybe we have time. But then the biggest challenge is if we know that someone is lost and they need to hear the gospel story, we don't think it's our responsibility. Again, one of my favorite stories, and I've shared it a zillion times, but for the new ones, it's the study of Kitty Genovese. She was, um, she was killed in New York in 1964 in an apartment complex where she yelled for help. And they say about 30 people turned on their lights, looked out, saw what was happening and looked and saw their neighbor with their lights on, saw, they saw that they saw what was happening, and everybody made an assumption. The assumption was 
this person saw that person, look what's going down down there, and they probably called the police. But nobody called the police. I do this all the time now. The power goes out on my street. I don't call the city utilities. I'm assuming my next door neighbor is. We make the assumption that somebody else is going to do it. And, and there's a whole study on this. It's called bystander syndrome. If you're going to get mugged, the best thing that could happen is just one person sees you get mugged. The chances of if one person sees something bad happening to you, they will call for help. But if 100 people see you get mugged, the chances have gotten go way down. Scientifically, they've proven this. There's just something about bystander syndrome that we think that somebody else is going to do it. When in fact, when we all think that way, then nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. So poor Kitty Genovese, she died even though lots of people saw it. it uh, the story is pretty gruesome, so I want to be careful. We have some children in the, in the audience. But Three times the perpetrator came back to finish the job. And by the time help came arrived, it was too late. Bystander syndrome. Everyone assumes that someone else will make the call, report the problem, or respond to the need. So what should we do as Mosaic Church, and we're ending here. What should we do? Who's in trouble? Who's in trouble? Just pause it in your mind. Who in our family, let's just, let's not worry about workplace, but who in our family is in trouble, spiritually trouble? Now, they may be wealthy, they may be well off, they're not sick, they're not, they just look good. They have a lot of confidence. But who's in trouble? Is there a family member, a close neighbor, someone you work with who doesn't know Jesus? So the second question I leave with you in our last question is, who's responsible? So we just figured out who's in trouble. Who's responsible? Who is responsible? I cannot think of a more important task to be sent than passing on the message of Jesus. In the story, we know that dead men get it. But do living Christians get it? Dead men, they figure it out. But do living Christians, have we figured it out? Now, I'm not big on uh, preaching hell and fire and brimstone. I don't think, uh, you know, back in the day, that was kind of a big thing. I do believe in God's love and grace. But there is a, we actually say it every, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Judge what? What is he judging? We live in a world where we, you hear a lot, well, God's love. Yes. Love is not God. God is love. What is he coming to judge? So if we live in a world, we think that everybody's just going to be swept in, then what are we judging for? Everybody's going to just be pardoned. There's no need for a judge. Just got to wait it out. That's the seriousness of it. 
So if we know and we could thought of somebody who's in trouble, then who is responsible? There is an urgency for Christ's commission. There's an urgency. Who's responsible for this community, this, our neighborhood? So who's going to be responsible? I want to leave you with that because I'm praying that God will help us to not fall prey to apathy or bystander syndrome. we would take the responsibility to do our part, to do our part. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us. Help me, Father. Many times I play soccer with a lot of unbelieving uh, friends. And Lord, um, always trying to find a a way, a wedge to to share the gospel. But Lord, help me to see the urgency. Help me to see the urgency. And Lord, not only see the urgency, but Lord, help me to act on it. The story is real. We really believe it. Lord, help us to act on it. We know someone's in trouble, then who's responsible to reach that person? Lord, we know that we can't make people accept you, but Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to give them the option to hear the story, the freedom that we sang about today. We say thank you, Father. We love you. Be with us here at Mosaic Church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.